Welcome to this BJSM podcast, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's a pleasure to be with Kelly Starrett, and he's a physiotherapist, a strength and conditioning coach, and author of Becoming a Supple Leopard. His word viral is not too big a word to use on uh, YouTube and the internet with uh, empowering people to take control of their own health, and I think he can add a lot of value for our profession for those of you who haven't heard about him before. Kelly, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. So I think it's going to be a bit of controversy because you've you've challenged the profession. What would you say is your primary principles that you think aren't recognised properly in the health professions as far as injuries go? Well, I I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say we're challenging the profession that because I would say that you know first and foremost I'm a physio. It colours everything that I do around strength and conditioning. And as a strength conditioning coach, it colors everything that I view as a physio as, a, as this continuum. What I will tell you about physio is that the model is flexible enough and dynamic enough where we can, you know, incorporate new ideas. You know, uh, Chris Powers, you know, really well-known physio, one time said this really disruptive thing. He said, look, if you're following the Practice Act, then you're probably not a good physio in terms of you're not thinking about how to progress our profession and to incorporate new ideas. What we can say is, hey, we're, we're seeing scales that we've never seen before. We're having more sophisticated conversations. We're suddenly understanding more of how the physiology and the, the rehab side translates into lifestyle and performance. And that those are really the, uh, the same continuum. There's not some disruption there. And so, you know, I have to think that what we need to be thinking is, you know, how do we shift off as physios, the very low-hanging fruit, and put that into the hands of, of sports trainers, of personal trainers, of coaches, and that, that actually frees us up to do the really difficult things and the real skilled care that we're trained to do. And unfortunately, that's only like 10% of that, that, that population. Where does the profession need to go? And I think physios at a really interesting crossroads where we can sort of deconstruct our, our model of very tissue injury level centric thinking and to expand it into how am I going to shift this into injury prevention and more importantly the physio gives us the best tools to apply for best physiology function so if we're talking about performance if we're talking about mechanics well it turns out the stable shoulder for swimming is still the stable shoulder for someone who's had a, you know an AC separation or a dislocation around the shoulder we're, those things are are mutually beneficial and not mutually exclusive. Let's talk about mobility WOD, mobility workout of the day. What we found in our clinical experience was that most people were leading sort of some kind of sedentary life. They worked at a screen, et cetera, et cetera. They came in and trained and then they worked really hard in the gym or whatever their sport was. And then they just went back to their sedentary life and they moved until something went wrong. And what we weren't realizing was one is that we weren't doing a good job of making sense of what we were seeing in real time. So if you, if I'm doing box jumps, we're jumping up on a box and I see that your feet turn out like ducks and you have a valgus moment as you jump and you land on the box with collapsed feet and your, when your navicular is on the box, you know, that it may not hurt you, but that's not the way the body is designed to move. And, and the way I treated as a physio, and I, I stumbled on this quite by accident. You know, I had a, I had an MMA guy come in. I'm a Maitland trained, Australian trained physio. You know, we, we know what, we know how, you know, Mulligan uses the belts. Like we understand things. 
And the way I, I was doing hip quadrant on some guy, he's like, hey, I'm having a hard time in guard. And I was like, hey, well, look at this. You're missing some of the key corners of your hip range of motion and flexion. And he was like, oh, well, I, what do I do about that? And I mobilized him. And then he went and, you know, won a gigantic MMA tournament. He says, he says I could control everyone with my hips. They're open. And I was like, well, why aren't we doing this in our practices as as coaches and athletes, we also realized that you couldn't save that up and just hit it once a week. You can't get a massage or you see your physio five times a week. What you had to do is create a model where people were starting to systematically address their tissue dysfunction and their biomechanical limitations, their incomplete ranges of motion. And what we found was that a 10 to 15 minute intervention every day that obsessed about improving mechanics in the language that athletes were already using, push-up, squat, deadlift, press, you know, hang, power, clean, that suddenly they could connect the dots of what we were doing to improve their position. The measurement outcome was improved, not range of motion, not passive range of motion, but was wattage, poundage, and performance. And what we saw was that we got people working every day a little bit at a time. We didn't have to address the whole body. Today we addressed the front rack position. Tomorrow we worked on the overhead position. The next day we worked on peak dorsiflexion. And all of a sudden we had this ongoing conversation. So workout of the day comes to we've got to shift people into finding their blind spots, identifying their stiff tissues, identifying their stiff capsular restrictions, and giving them a template to start work on. It sounds like you're a big believer in self-maintenance. Yes. You know, the real question is, do you have full physiologic range or not? You know, at some point, we haven't ever clearly defined what range of motion is and what full physiologic functional range of motion is. And the question is, are we saying that it's within normal limits? Well, within normal limits means what? That you can ambulate around the house versus you're within the normal limits of what a human should be able to do. And benchmarking those things is what Greg Cook tried to do with the functional movement screen. Why, why can't you perform these, these basic positions? It's not about function. I don't, for example, you know, one of our quick tests for hip, end range hip flexion and interrotation and dorsiflexion of the ankle is to be able to squat all the way down with your knees together, with your heels on the ground and feet together. And what you'll see is that most people can't achieve that basic shape, which means, you know, that if they turn the feet out, if they let their knees come in, they can work around it and get into that position. But we haven't been clear about what we expect the normal side of people to do. And that is the reason why we're still seeing, you know, this epidemic of running based injuries, this epidemic of, you know, ACL injuries that we have not changed. We haven't changed those numbers at all as physios. And maybe it's because we've been barking up the wrong tree. We're waiting until people get injured and then we try to change one person at a time. In the military, in the army, for example, there's a really good study across the entire army cohort that found they had about a a million non-combat related orthopedic injuries every year. One million in the army. That's a lot of work. But it turns out that the army has about one physio for every 5,000 soldiers. So that model is completely flawed. And it doesn't matter if you think someone can really benefit from a long-term relationship with the physio. If you can't see the physio, if you can't see the physio in a timely fashion, we've got to create another template or another model. And that model has to happen at the intervention where people are actually moving and performing their moving. So if you're a physio and you're not actually out in the gym deadlifting with your clients or your, your athletes, then you're not going to be able to see the, the loading sequence errors, the, 
the you know the timing errors the 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 back reversal you're not going to see all that stuff you're going to just wait till it blows up and then you're going to see it kelly you've put a lot of mobility wad content on the internet workout of the days and this has tremendous following did you have any idea that you would achieve such a tsunami of followers we didn't foresee this what what we saw was that we our model at the gym and in our lab, which is, you know, we have four physios at the gym, four physio coaches, for example. And, you know, we believe in this model called test, retest, share. And the test, retest is, is this inter-rater and intra-rater reliable? Is it observable, measurable, repeatable? And then do we see intercession change? And when we, what we're realizing is that I was working with some of the very best athletes in the world, and that they, these very best athletes were not working at the limits of their physiology. They had huge range of motion restrictions and were succeeding in spite of that because they were genetic monsters, right? Just genetic monsters. And when we improved people's position, remember, posture in Latin is position. When we improve people's position, we improve their mechanics and we improve their performance. And that was me testing that idea at the highest level, like the world record in squatting, you know? Our friend was missing the world record. He was tried the world record in squat three or four times, kept missing it com- coming forward. You know, it's about it was 1,210 pounds at the time. And he turns out he was just missing a little bit of flexion into rotation, which means that he at the end range of his hip flexion into rotation, he also couldn't create torsion and keep his, his knee out and his torso would drift forward at the bottom and he'd miss the weight. Well, I mobilized him and then I said, hey, Donnie, this is Donnie Thompson. I said, here's how you can reclaim your hip position by setting it to the back of the socket, much like hip quadrant. Here's how you can use a band to distract the hip capsule so that you don't impinge when you work this end range. I saw him once for about 20 minutes, showed him what to do. He changed it, and then a week and a half later, smashed the world record in almost 1,300 pounds. And he's like, Kelly, I added 80 pounds to my squat, and I didn't get stronger. I was in a better position. And then if we move from the individual to the coaches, you've got a, a special perception of what uh, strength and conditioning coaches can do as probably the next step in a continuum? Well, you know, I, I think what you're, you're coming back into is, well, it, this is an issue of scale now. And that what we know is that if you work with a brilliant physio who is also a good strength coach, one-on-one, you can go a long way. That is a, that's a very powerful diet there. The physio coach is, is very powerful. And I have, there are some, at Arsenal, there are some, Ben Ashworth, brilliant physio coach. He's the first team physio at Arsenal. You know, he, he is a legitimate strength and conditioning coach, you know, masquerading as a physio, you know. And, you know, uh, Tim DeFrancesco is the strength and conditioning coach for the Lakers, also happens to be a physio. And what we're seeing is that the physios are, 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 now we've had, you know, we're catching up. The, what I will tell you is that the, the question now is how do we apply these concepts at scale? So that's a real, that's a real issue. And what we have found is by integrating the concept of fitness into fitness also includes do I have full range of motion? Do I have the motor control to express that full range of motion? It's not just do I have a bigger VO2 max and did I put more weight on the bar? We have to make sure that people are understanding that if they, you know, can't perform a straight leg raise or hip hinge to about 90 degrees, then that's an incomplete motor control around the spine, an incomplete posterior chain function, whatever stiffness, whatever we're going to call it, right? Largely motor control and breathing. But the point is that we, we now need to be able to say, okay, I've got 30 kids in this gym. 
how are we going to systematically start to ferret out problems in the context of, of, of the work that we still have to do? Because, you know, there is a notion that we have to get it perfect before we return people to sport. And what I can tell you is that's not the way high school or middle school athletics works. That's not the way collegiate athletics works. What happens in those sports or in those eras is that we, we work kids and athletes until they break. And then they either, you know, the egg is either robust enough to handle the being thrown against the wall long enough and we move on or kids, kids cycle out. And, you know, I, I the real question now is, well, where's the intervention going to happen? Why aren't we, you know, helping people understand that the diagnostic process and the training process are the same process? And so I'm going to bring this up and we touched on it earlier. There's going to be people listening to this who are going to go, well, What's the evidence like when you say that some of these movement dysfunctions um, aren't normal? Um, what do you say to those folks? You know, it's you know we use this analogy that hey, look, if you're using matches to start a fire, you know we know what the what the research is, we know the mechanism of how that works. And if I come in with a lighter and use this and start a fire, you can't tell me that the lighter doesn't have evidence-based medicine to it. You know. Because it's because we haven't studied the lighter, it's a new new technology. Doesn't mean that it's not based on the principles used to matches start a fire. And I know that's a simple analogy, but that's what we're doing. And you know, if you came and saw me as a physio, I would address your you know, if your ankle restriction, I would work on your you know, I bet you have some stiff posterior tissues. I'd make sure your skin is sliding over the tendon of your Achilles. I'd make sure that your calcaneus worked. I'd make sure that your you know, your you know. Your fib joints glide forward. I'd work on the capsule of dorsiflexion. We work on all of those things. Comma, if you take a crack at that, even to let's say 70% effectiveness, what we know is that most of the dysfunctions people have are multifactorial. That, you know, it's a systems problem. That any one of those things can cause the issue. So if we improve range of motion across any of those things or improve function or physiology, physiologic function across any of those parameters, we're going to see upregulation in the function of the human, which is the only thing that matters. And Kelly, really, you're a fan of movement, so it fits in with movement being good for you, movement uh, being therapeutic. You move poorly, you're going to create compensatory patterns in the body. I think the problem is that we confuse the incredible robustness of function with the fact that as long as I'm moving, as long as I'm, I'm completing the task, it must be okay. Versus saying, hey, let's take what we know as the, you know, as the, the models for best physiologic function and let's transcribe those models backwards to less than heroic or Olympic level function. So if the best runners in the world are, you know, Usain Bolt, his feet are straight when he runs, right? He has full interrotation of an extension of the shoulder when he sprints because that's how he expresses best function. Why can't I spot that problem in my young girl showing up with, you know, twisting across her body and, and her feet are like ducks? And, you know, I, I think that's the issue is that we, we haven't been able to sort of transcribe our physio language into the language and into an actionable language that people can use and make sense of. Finish, um, give you a chance to explain how you came up with the analogy of a supple leopard. So your book's called Becoming a Supple Leopard. And what made you think of that? Well, I saw Gallipoli with with my dad a long, long time ago, you know, and and he's like, you know, how fast are you going to run? Fast as a leopard. And one of the problems, so I had that stuck in my head, and then one of my uh, Navy SEAL friends 
said, hey, Kelly, the leopard never stretches. And I was like, well, uh, A, you're not a leopard, so we have a type 1 error in your thinking. And B, you know, what about the function of humans that we should have? So I have this hypothesis that we should all have normal and full, complete physiologic function available to us almost instantaneously all the time. We shouldn't have to warm up to go up and down the stairs. You know, you shouldn't have to mobilize your thoracic spine and end range shoulder flexion to be able to put something up or jump into the pool. What we should, we should realize is that, you know, unfortunately being modern humans and the way we live, and I'm not, I'm not harking back to some paleo ideal, but what I'm saying is, you know, we should have full access to our physical prowess, our physical heritage instantaneously without lots of warm up and lots of cool down and mobilizing. We should be moving towards that idea. Well, I'm pretty much in a ready state already. So let's work to a place where I have full, I can attack and defend at full physiologic force instantaneously like a leopard. That is our ideal with the caveat that we know it's a moving target. As long as this, we, we bring a more enlightened conversation to the definition of training, which improve, includes let me work on resolving my movement dysfunction or my movement limitations, then we've done ourselves a service by expanding the definition of fitness and comma in the process inoculating ourselves from simple, you know, musculoskeletal failures that are of our own making. And can I give you a chance just to speak to the listeners who aren't physios, aren't health professionals? You're saying that they should feel empowered to self-manage. Tell, tell us, you know, give us a message for folks to do that, to take control of their own lives and their own health? Well, you know, I think the problem is, you know, we haven't given people any metrics or tools to know what's normal and not normal. And just to be clear, you're a physio, you're a coach. Are you advocating that people ignore these relationships? What I want people to do is have a long-term relationship with their physio. You know, if I had to go see my dentist every single time I ate, it would be a terribly inefficient relationship. If I take a crack at fixing myself first with techniques that we know are safe, you know, I, you know, and our, our primary, one of our primary rules is if it feels sketchy, it's sketchy. Go get help. If you, if you feel like you're injuring yourself, you should really listen to that. If you feel like something's going to tear, you know what that, your body's telling you? It's going to tear. And I think we've just become very shut down around this. So if, if, you know, what I want people to do is be able to come into their physio whom they've known for 10 years, who know their history, their dysfunction. You know, it's not like they get a brand new physio for every new problem. I want people to come in and say, hey, look, you know, I'm having a problem when I strike. My, my Achilles is getting a little hot. I've, I have tried to make sure that the skin is sliding. I noticed that I'm missing a little anterior hip, you know, hip, you know, my anterior hip is tight. I'm missing hip extension. I noticed that my super patellar pouch is tight. Why? Because I tried to, tried to, to you know, floss it out or, or do some tack and floss on it. And what do you think the problem is? You know? And I think when we advance the conversation to that, then the physio is also looking at underneath, is there something more serious going on? But to, for a physio to insert themselves into the daily lives is a mistake, unless that physio is training and coaching that person all day long, comma, if you think it's above your head, that's why we all went to physio school. 
we can be really the best in the world at as physios, as medical practitioners, but we really do need to shift some of that back onto the place where people are actually having that intervention, which is the coach, which is the gym teacher, which is the training, you know, the training group. You know, hey, I noticed that you're running, your elbows are flaring. Hey, let's fix that versus, hey, I'm going to wait until something goes catastrophically wrong and I've herniated and then go see my physio. In the meantime, take a crack at it. If you can't get ahead, go see your physio, even if you don't have pain, but you know that you're missing range of motion. Fantastic, Kelly. Um, thanks for giving up your time in San Francisco today. And you've really given us a lot of um, provocative thoughts and uh, some profound thoughts from your experience. We can follow up a lot of it uh, from your great resources on the web. And obviously, becoming a supple leopard is on many people's reading lists. Thanks, man. Cheers. So look forward to this being discussed on Twitter, um, in blogs, on social media. And it'd be great to get you back. Look forward to your thoughts on various BJSM channels, including our Google Plus community and Twitter, Facebook. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. Bye.